1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 through 40. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present circumstances and distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short, and from now on let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, those who deal in the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties, The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, well then let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as she lives. If her husband dies, she is free to marry whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, even much pure gold. Amen. Amen. We have been doing a deep dive in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It's a fascinating passage. It, it really gets down into the, um, the depths of life, of living, situations that we are, that the gospel came into. We've seen that the good news of Jesus, right, his salvation, does not only come to affect our souls, but has no bearing on our lives. It doesn't just come to have bearing on our minds, but it comes for your hands and it comes for your feet. It comes for marriages. It comes for families. This chapter reminds us that it comes for your bodies, even. The gospel is uh, the, the great poem, The Hound of Heaven. It's, it's, it's coming for all of you. Our current situation, no matter what it is, in Christ is redeemed. And we are to serve God where we are. Right, that's what this uh, this letter that Paul is responding to, inquiries given to him by the Corinthians, that's what this is all about. If you remember, Paul had previously given us an image, sort of a metaphor to keep in our minds. 
It was an illustration of what God was doing amongst the saved is that they were being built up as a temple of God. They were having the foundation of Christ. And as they matured, they would grow up and now display to the watching world what God was like. They, the people, were now his glory. As they walked in obedience and in holiness day by day, a living temple amongst, now get this, because at this time there were pagan temples. Now there's a rivalry going on. The brick and mortar, sort of dead faith, dead religion, mixed up with all of the ways of the world and all of the pain and travesty of sexual immorality and lust and, and debauchery and defrauding. And then you have the living temple of God. Not bound and uh, contrived into brick and mortar, but in the changed lives, the electric gospel of the Holy Spirit in the believers. Patrick Schreiner uh, writes in his commentary, it's actually on Acts, but he's talking about the Roman culture. He says it marvelously this way. Listen up. As the goal of the Roman Empire was to shape the entire world into its image, so the Spirit challenges their construction effort. Rome created beautiful buildings Uh, constructed travel routes and reconstructed land to inculcate what they called the Pax Romana, right? The peace of Rome. But the Spirit comes and constructs a brand new temple, new buildings with a distinct type of beauty and its own sense of unity. Another theologian picks up on Schreiner's idea and he says it this way, the Spirit forms a new civilization in and through the church, He restructures the world to become the realm of the Pax Christi, peace of Christ. That's what this text is all about, is the people, right, bearing the image of God, bring in the Pax Christi, the peace of Christ. And that is a great place to hold on in this very long text this morning. It's a very long text. It's very detailed. It's got nitty-gritty about should you marry, should you not marry, remaining single, sexual purity. And I think we've touched on a lot of the principles in the past few sermons. But there are broader things that Paul, I think, as a wise pastor, brings in view. All of the details of life, which are present here, that I think we should look at and see how they instruct and teach us to think as Christians. But there are principles here. Because your life is different from a Corinthians. That apply to all of us in the way that we see Scripture. So, what does the gospel do? Let's think about a few things before we dive in. The gospel does give us rest from our past. That's a glorious thing. And it does give us hope for our future. But now what? What? What about all the anxiety of today? About all the situations we get ourselves in? And, and for a lot of my own life, just personally as an aside, I thought this very thing, that the gospel was sort of an insurance policy. I've got it. Great news for me. Proud that I have it. Sort of culturally changed. Then life is just kind of survival, pleasure, ease, and then the kind of reintegrate with heaven and then just kind of go on. So what about this intermediate state? That is not part of the good news. 
the good news comes to today. Christianity isn't just that we're saved from something past-oriented or that we're saved to something future-oriented, but that we're also saved for something, a present orientation. Present orientation. So what a great thing in a new year, new circumstances, families are changing, families are growing. The gospel is for us now. Right? Our redemption is not just future, but we are redeemed. Now, Colossians says that we are redeemed with Christ now. It changes everything. So to uh, give us a bit of an outline this morning, we're going to look at three principles from this rather large text. The first one being, it is a present contentment. The gospel brings a present contentment. Second thing, it brings an eternal perspective. And the last being that it brings anxious, free devotion. Anxious, free devotion. Let's look at this first one together from verses 25 through 28. And then Paul picks back up on this theme again from 36 to 40. Present contentment. He says, and I won't read through the text completely again this morning. I, I, I sort of charge you with larger texts to go on your own and look back through these. But let me draw out a few principles. Here's the first one. Paul says, in view of the present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is, verse 26. So we don't really know exactly what's going on at the time of the letter. All right? We can take some guesses. There were famines sort of around this time. There's war. Obviously, there's persecution. We've touched on that a little bit. Paul would later himself be martyred. But the principle here is that some situations call for discernment. Paul instructs them that it is better, nonetheless, to face whatever distress is coming your way, walking in contentment and holiness, than to be tied up in knots. That is not a sign of holiness, as many people think that it sometimes is. So what's the principle here? There was some form of distress, some sort of cultural pressure. And he says, look, as advice to you, it it might be wise to stay in the station that you're at. If you're unmarried, hang out there. If you're married, hang out there. And all the while he's saying, "If, if you can't be content in that circumstance, brothers, it's okay to change. The principle here is to walk in contented holiness. We don't even know what the situation was. We obviously know that there are some times, right, when there's war or um, we can imagine, right, it might be difficult to enter into a marriage. There are uh, be difficult to enter into marriage when there's no money, uh, no security involved. We can see those situations, but the principle here is a rest. And what was happening to the Corinthians is not foreign to my experience with many, many people is that the gospel comes and we have a, I have a sympathy with this. You have a desire to honor the Lord. And yet, instead of having your life be full of worship and joy and new rest and contentment, it's actually uh, the Christianity part that is tying you up in knots. I want to please the Lord. What do I do? Uh, should I be married? Should, should I be single? Uh, should I say this thing? What about reading plans? And, and on and on and on. And they can't find peace. I have met many, many, many Christians whose Christianity, at least that's what they would claim it to be, has actually pressured them. And my take on that, 
think Paul's advice here is you've, you've got something wrong. Something is uncalibrated that you have this sense of discontentment while claiming to be in Christ. Yes, circumstances are tough, but it would be best to be contented in Christ. He goes on, verse 27. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. If you do marry, you have not sinned. Principle here is contentment. Listen, the the truth here uh, is that self-discipline is a very, very good thing. That is a good thing. It's a fruit of the Spirit, self-control. It is a high ambition for a Christian to be self-disciplined, but it is not a demand of Christian duty to eliminate all natural desires. It is not a demand of Christian faithfulness to eliminate all natural desires. God uses them for his glory. So Paul says, channel them. Worship God. Be free. That it is better even, uh, you can imagine in time of persecution, uh, if you're going to be thrown to the lions, it's one thing. If you're going to be thrown to the lions and you've got kids, that's another, right? You can see the considerations there that Paul is placing on them. But he nevertheless says it would be better to be thrown to the lions walking in holiness than to be burning with sexual lust. So get married. And I love this chapter. There is so much wisdom and freedom that he's not pitting um, right versus wrong sometimes. He's pitting good versus better. That is a remarkable principle that many Christians need to learn. That sometimes in life it's not always good versus bad. Sometimes it's simply good versus better. Use discernment, pick one, and walk in faithfulness. But do it with contentment and not in anxiety. So the Corinthians would tell a person with a sexual appetite to to go for it, however you wish, same as our culture. The Christian instruction for sexual appetite was not shame or abstention, but marriage. Beautiful, wonderful. It's not good for a man to be alone. It's not good to burn with lust, right? It's just wonderful, good ambitions. But all this has a principle. What's the stake in all these? The stake is living. The stake is living holy lives. Paul is getting into the nitty-gritty of people's lives. Sure, we've all got that. But the principle here is, how do we look as the temple of God? We, are, we cannot be in this, this, uh, these, these knots of anxiety. There's a principle verse here. It is, I do not want you to be anxious, brothers. No matter what the world throws at you. I do not want you to be anxious. We often can make Christianity an unnatural thing. We must remember that Christianity is never meant to abolish ordinary life. It's meant to glorify it. So don't make Christianity an unnatural thing. Sort of a teetotaling, miserable thing. that uh, You can tell that the person became a, a Christian because of the terrible look on their face. Right? They're, they're haunted and hunted uh, uh, under the, the strong hand of a tight-lipped God. That is not it. We are under the generous hand of the smile of God. We are free. That is a, a lovely thing. Kids, I did not get this for a very long time. But in Christ, that's my testimony. It is more fun. It is more free. It is more. Uh, it, it is beyond my comprehension to walk in Christ 
And it's just a, it is a thrill. Everything is taken care of. Again, the principle here is contentment. Your situation currently might not be like the Corinthians were. It might not be ideal. They're single. I want to get, get married. If I'm going to be holy, maybe I shouldn't get married. Or maybe I'm married and my spouse isn't a Christian. I'm stuck in this bad marriage. It says, your situation currently might be marked with difficulty, present distress that calls for discernment, sure, but it is fitting to be content in the present. And it's just fine to make changes in the future. Instead of just burning for those future changes. They might come at a time. So how can this be? How can you take a, a legitimately difficult circumstance and be content? How can you do that? Well, look at the second principle here, verse 29. Heavenly perspective. I will read this one. He says, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. So what's he saying here? Is he, is he, is he saying we're to be cold, uh, even to our wives and our children, right? Who are my mother and brothers? You think about this sort of echoing principle that we hear even from Jesus own words, uh, we used to be distant and aloof from the world, even cruel, sort of in our pulling away, a detachment, calculated detachment. No, this is a language about perspective. Listen closely. It's a language regarding our, our vision. It's not counsel to be indifferent to difficult and present circumstances. It's not patronizing us uh, for being over-spiritualizing. So it's not just saying, hey, just think of heaven. Right? Don't think of this world sort of patronizing, isn't it? Someone comes to me for counsel, and I say, just think of heaven, brother. Right? I can be pretty, I can be pretty bad. He's not saying that either. But what happens is that Paul says, there is an anchor beyond your present circumstances. It's a beyond the immediate, and it's into the realm of the eternal. Or Christ is seated next to the right hand of the Father. The things of this life, the flesh, your situation, marriage, singleness, affections, passions, they aren't ultimate. They are not ultimate. And they do not have ultimate control over you. Previously, Paul said, we don't live as slaves like we used to. And all of a sudden, the gospel comes with a needle and just pops the pressure of life. It just takes the pressure off of things. These things, though legitimate, though serious, and though they might be perfectly fine, enter into marriage if you need to, but it does take the pressure off of them being ultimate. Psalm 39, 4-7 says, O Lord, make me know my end. What is the measure of my days? And let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, You've made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you, and surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about in a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather it. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you, 
the Bible cover to cover is, is calling us to remember a perspective that in God is the fullness of our joy and to worship the creator and not the creation. And what it does is it begins to just release. It is a pressure relief valve, an eternal perspective. We put our request before the Lord. We say, your kingdom come and your will be done, but I'm looking at you. And 2024, right, a new year to do this, what a remarkable thing to do. To say, I'm, I'm looking to you, Lord. I'm going to look up away from all of the, the, the present things, the busy things, the things that are out of my control. I'm going to look up to you. I can't believe I've made it 15 some odd weeks and not referenced Lord of the Rings, but here goes. Um, right when Sam gets to kind of the, the banks of Mordor and it's kind of the uh, Mount Doom, right, and the shadow, and volcanic shadow, he, he gets there and he's, he's, he's just heavy laden with the task and just impossibility and all of the logistics in front of him. And he happens to look up and, and a cloud passes by and he, he just sees the sun for a second. Cloud passes back over the sun. And he, he gets this sort of insight and says, you know what? Sometimes I forget that beyond the shadow and beyond the clouds, and beyond the darkness, is a sun that is shining bright and isn't moving. And all the things in this world really are a small and passing thing. It gives him hope into the future. It's precisely the type of thing Paul is saying here. Is if you could look up for a minute beyond the cloud is a God who has no shadow due to change. What a, what a wonderful thing. Uh, one writer says this, All that we have, no, no matter who or where we are, should be surrendered before God, lifted up with an open palm. The Lord can place things in an open palm and he can take things away from an open palm. But if we clench our fists, it is no additional trouble for God to take them away and get our fingers broken. Well said. We live with an open fist. The world, right? the, the, the philosophy that's pressed upon you, the pressure is, Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. Take whatever comfort you can. But the Christian says, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow's resurrection. Our, our enjoyment of the world is worship. It is not grasping. It is free. It is not enslaved. Uh, after all, the end of this present book, sort of uh, where this logic is heading paul says in chapter 15 then those who have fallen asleep in christ have perished and if in christ we have hope only in this life we are of all people most to be pitied but in fact christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep all of this living is not for the ultimate reality of the here and the now and the today we're of all people most to be pitied if we fail to just enjoy things like the rest of the world, but he says that's not it. Our perspective is eternal, and it takes the weight of circumstance and even death, and it gives us back ease and rest and new eyes to see. Last section here. One of the things that uh, Paul is instructing amongst all the situational differences is an anxious free 
and undivided devotion. An anxious, free, and undivided devotion. Look at verse 32 with me. This is sort of the theme of the section here. I want you to be free from anxieties. That's This is the pastoral thesis of this section. I want you to be free from anxieties. This is the principle. So here is, some people interpret this uh, many, many different ways. The commentators just, pew, they really part ways here. Um, here. Here is sort of what I think makes the most sense of that statement in regard to these texts. What tends to happen is that people read this and they think Paul is saying that the unmarried man who is focused on the Lord is to be preferred versus the married man who is concerned about his family. And it's, a lot of people interpret this to be like uh, the, the unmarried man has all this sort of freedom and he can glorify God and that's sort of the ideal state and the married man is sort of bogged down with the things of the world and marriage and kids and family is less ideal. That's not what he's saying, I think. It doesn't really make sense of what he's saying. His concern is their anxieties. So to the married man, um, their anxiety is stated as wanting to please the Lord but what do we know from previous context in this chapter and the preceding chapters is that they were, they were equating their honoring to the Lord um, in remaining celibate, in abstaining from sexual immorality to the point where they were burning inappropriately and causing all sorts of tension and problems in the congregation while trying to remain single. They were anxious. So Paul says, I don't want you to be anxious to the unmarried man who's trying to please the Lord. That's great. I commend you on that, but I would not have you be anxious. And he says that explicitly. If you're anxious and it's too much pressure, I would have you marry. He says it again right here in our text. And then he turns his attention to the married situation. He says, um, to the married person who is also anxious, um, Paul's instruction is to travel lightly. Paul's instruction is to travel lightly, to live with a heavenly perspective. He's already told us, if you're married, live as if you're not married. If you've got children, live as if if you don't. If you're dealing with the market, live as if you have no goods. Right? And, And he's not, again, saying to neglect your family and to not come home at night and to be free from those obligations. He's saying that even in those obligations, whether you are single or whether you are married, they are not ultimate and so they pressurize and give a sense of anxiety particularly focused with a spiritual lens lord i want to honor you in my marriage so i'm going to divorce this person because they're not a believer no he's he's getting through all of this slog and saying whether you're married or whether you're not don't be anxious be content in the lord and whether you're single and burning then then get married because it's better to be content in the Lord. And whether you're married and your partner wants to leave you, let them go because it's better to be content in the Lord. If your partner's left you, then you're free to remarry because it's better to be content in the Lord. This is really the principle here. Again, not right versus wrong. Sometimes just good versus better. Jesus reminds us that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, not gruesome 
and unbearable. But this is how many people live. They're frenzied that either the world is ultimate and they must do what they can to hold on to it, or they're frenzied that God is tedious and he's hard to please. Paul's instruction here is not to live in the frenzy, whether married or single. Part of our testimony in this world is what Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs calls, and we have the book out in the bookstall, the rare jewel of Christian contentment. The rare jewel of Christian contentment. To bring that back into our illustration from this morning, part of being built up into the temple of God is that it was a temple of worship. It was loud with the songs of singing saints, not frenzied saints. It was people who were not partaking in the world, not because they were abstaining in order to please God in some sort of hyper sense of over-spiritualized, puritanical uh, withholding, of frustrated intense. No, they were free. They weren't slaves anymore. One of the things that defined them is that they were happy, that they were at rest. And you know what? Let me be frank with you. It's, I get it. It's hard to be, it's hard to be at rest. It, it just is. There are so many circumstances that that press upon us. And the instruction here this morning is not just don't be sad <laughs> or be more happy. Paul's command is, is sound, <clears throat> is that when we look beyond the discontent of our circumstance, look at your sin, the thing that plagues you, the long shadow, well, that's gone. Look at death, well, the sting of that is gone. Look at your hands and your feet today. God has given you a today. He has placed you right where you are. It's a gift. It's what we saw last week. It's an assignment from the Lord. Walk faithfully in it. And when you're walking, holding the Lord's hand, he's the shepherd that leads to, to good pastures. He's not a heavy-handed, condemning. He doesn't, he doesn't, he's not how you are. <laughs> He's not how I am, right? He's not an accuser. He doesn't browbeat you. He doesn't throw up and remind you of your sin, throw it back in your face. You remember this from a couple weeks ago? We're going to learn from 1 Corinthians 13. Love keeps no record of wrongs. What did we learn from our assurance of pardon today? As far as east is from the west. And then there's the fight of faith to actually take God for who he is. Most of us live with a perception of God that is not, in t- not even close to what he really is. And he has to remind us again and again and again that everything has been taken care of. And that part of living and displaying his glory is to live in joy and to live in peace. So we must remember that Christianity is never meant to abolish the ordinary life. It's meant to glorify it. So are you frustrated with life where you are? Maybe we need to open that clenched fist and give a sacrifice of praise, contentment that this is where God has placed us and contentment even if he changes it. Maybe you want him to change it. That's great. Be content where you are either way. If your perspective is short-sighted, short-ranged, only seeing the immediate, Does your vitality and joy of your faith shift with daily trials and needs and burdens? This text is calling us to have a heavenly perspective. To have an anchor where God is. Where resurrection is coming. Are you anxious? Anxious, particularly in this text, anxious of God. Pleasing God. Honoring God. Friends, there is 
in Christ, he has pleased the Father on your behalf. Do you understand that? You, you trying to honor him and live in such a way as to earn more affection or more favor from him dishonors the finished work at the cross where he gives you over his standing with the Father, his righteousness. He has called you brother. The Father has called you son. There is nothing that you need to do and your standing will not change any further. It will not progress any higher no matter how many knots you tie yourself into. And you will progress a lot more in your Christian walk by understanding that than trying to get there by working something out. You will progress much more in holiness by simply resting in the finished work of Christ than trying to finish it for him. Does that make sense? Rest. It's okay. It's hard to do. In our efforts to please the Lord, we should not become tense or restless. Always wondering if we're taking the right path, where to be faithful, where he's placed us.